So, have you ever cooked something and left out an ingredient? I take it you have. I don't mean salt. I don't mean pepper. I mean, you left out this key ingredient, and it literally changed the taste and consistency. Kids were little. When the kids were little, one night, I was left in charge of supper. So it was gourmet mac and cheese night. Nothing really gourmet. That just sounded much better. So I served up mac and cheese, and Chad and Aaron began to eat. And a few minutes later, I noticed they weren't eating much. So finally... I said, is anything wrong? And they said, well, it doesn't taste like mom's. Well, that's the gauntlet that's been thrown down. I took it as a challenge. I said, it's fine. Eat your mac and cheese. But on this night, they refused. So the power struggle began. I said, it just does not taste like mom's. Dad, it's different. It doesn't taste good. It's not right. And so I commanded them. I said, you shall eat that mac and cheese. (laughs) Yeah, You know how well that worked. So to prove my point, I went to the box, looked at the ingredients and instructions, and it was at that point I said, huh, so this needs milk as well. (laughs) See, I had boiled the pasta, I had poured in the dry cheese mix, but for some reason I had left out the milk. Now, if you haven't figured out by now, milk is a key ingredient in macaroni and cheese. It's like the ingredient. Otherwise, all you have are clumps of pasta sort of covered in butter and dry cheese powder. And I had to agree. On that score, it did not taste like mom's. So leaving out key ingredients can make a huge difference. And by the way, I don't make mac and cheese anymore. So this leads me to this whole idea of gratitude. Gratitude is central, I think, to the spiritual life. It is the key ingredient in the spiritual journey. Without it, the flavor, the taste, the essence of one's spiritual life is changed and affected. Gratitude flavors our soul. We end up adding flavor to life. A heart and soul of gratitude flavors life with such things as appreciation, hope, optimism, generosity, forgiveness, and a gracious spirit. And this spirit of gratitude adds flavor to life. It generates life both in our soul and in our environment. I think to understand gratitude, it's to know where it comes from. In other words, it's not something that we just manufacture on our own necessarily. It's a fruit. It's a virtue. It's grown out of the soil of grace. You see, the word gratitude and the word grace basically come from the same root, a gift. Grace is a gift freely given. It's unearned. So that when we cultivate gratitude, it's to cultivate this disposition in which we see all of life as a gift. Everything about us is a gift. Now, this is not as easy as it sounds, and, and I try to speak very personally because I know this happens with me, because the default mode is sometimes to live with a sense of entitlement. Rather than seeing life as a gift, I may tend to feel that life owes me something, or I may feel that I've received in life is more about what I have done than how life has gifted me, or I simply get caught in a posture of taking things for granted. That seems to be more the default mode, just simply taking things for granted. I always expect it to be here. It's going to be here. I don't really have to give thanks for it. When I think about that whole sense of how maybe 
what we have achieved is what we've done, I always go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8, 17, 18 says this about life, about if we've done well. It says, don't think to yourself, my own strength and abilities have produced all this prosperity for me. Remember the Lord your God. He's the one who gives you the strength to be prosperous in order to establish the covenant he made with your ancestors. All right, that's just all a very profound way to say this. If you've done well in life, you're probably not a self-made person. If you've done well in life, that's great. But if you've done well in life, someone gave you the gifts and the abilities and the talents to get that done. God. If you've done well in life, someone probably came along to help you in life, which is a gift from God. And so everything about us is pure gift. It is pure grace. And gratitude comes out of that place of recognizing that. Now, it is a choice. It's a disposition we can choose. It's a habit of the heart. But as I choose gratitude, I realize that there are some areas in my life that have a certain gravitational pull on me. Now, I tried to come up with the best image, and this is going to work for some. It's not going to work for others because some of you like Star Wars. Some of you have never seen a Star Wars movie, all right? But it's coming up in about, what, four weeks or so? You know when you get close, how many weeks? Three weeks. The man wearing the Star Wars shirt says three weeks. (laughs) You know when you get close to the Death Star, which is the big, big, Uh, Death Star ship, it has a gravitational pull to it. Once you get in that gravitational pull, you just can't get away from it. And there are these qualities for me, again, that it's sort of like the Death Star. When I start orbiting too close to them, they're like a gravitational pull that pulls me away from a life of gratitude. Now, I hope that when you go see Star Wars, you will never think about it the same way again. But what are these? Well, the first is this, cynicism. You know, the cynic feels that ultimately folks are only motivated by self-interest and nothing good can ever happen in life. For the cynic, it doesn't matter what you do, nothing ever changes. Cynicism pulls me away from gratitude by convincing me, you know, I should only look out for my own good because it really doesn't matter what happens, it doesn't matter what I do, it just will not affect change. And so I become cynical. And so gratitude no longer pulls me away from that and invites me to be generous and gracious. The other gravitational pull, the other mini Death Star is complaining. It not only pulls me away from gratitude, but it has negative effects. I don't know how many of us notice, but complaining can have negative effects on both our mental and our physical health. It changes our disposition. It affects our view of life. We can actually become more negative. We can actually become emotionally and physically worn down simply by the degree of complaining that we do. There's a monk, Thomas Merton, who once wrote these words. There is no neutrality between gratitude and ingratitude. Those who are not grateful soon begin to complain of everything. Third is criticizing. There's a progression here, by the way. The more cynical I become, the more I complain, the more I criticize. Sometimes criticizing can become such a habit of a heart that I can actually start looking for something to criticize simply out of habit. In other words, you're not even looking for the good anymore. You're simply looking for the not-so-good, because if you can find it, then you can legitimize why you're criticizing. And then the fourth for me is kind of a strange one, but I find this in my life, 
and it really pulls me away from a life of gratitude. It's competing. Now, there's nothing wrong with good, friendly competition. I did it in high school. My kids did it in high school. I remember when Erin used to play tennis. Uh, Linda and I would go to her tennis matches, and Erin was not as much into competition. Um, she was more into getting to know the opponent. And I would watch her, and afterwards, after she was done, she'd come over and say, hey, I met the person on the other side of the net, and did you know that they went to so-and-so church and they graduated? And uh, did you know that? And I would see them talking, and and if there was a ball that was out of bounds, it clearly was out of bounds, Aaron would almost kind of like, oh, it's okay, you can have that point, you know? And I would try to instill in her competition. Aaron, you got to bury them. (laughs) And then love them. So there's nothing wrong with healthy competition. What I'm talking about, though, is this. The kind of competition in which I'm ungrateful for what I have and I want what others have. I compete for stuff. I compete for attention. I compete for recognition. I compete for the limelight. There's a little message I have on my computer screen that it pops up every morning. I wrote it on there because I need to see it. And here's what it has to say. It says, will the good of others, W-I-L, W-I-L-L, will the good of others. Life is not a competition. Will the good of others. Life is not a competition. In other words, who in my life that I'm competing with do I need to will their good? That they'll do well. That they will succeed that good things will happen for them. It challenges me because there are days when I think there are some folks that have just irritated me or angered me. I just don't want them to do as well. They need to learn a lesson or two. You know, they need a little bit of comeuppance in their life. And then I start criticizing. And then I start complaining. And then I start getting cynical. In those mornings when I have read that note and I have looked at it and I have intentionally identified the people in my life who I need to will their good, it changes me. It changes my perspective of them. It shines the light on my attitude. And it changes my whole sense of how big and abundant God's world is. There is enough for everybody. And I don't have to hoard recognition and attention and whatever else I'm trying to hoard. Try it. Every morning. Maybe I'll send it out in an email. But every morning, will the good of others. Because life is not a competition. Our scripture text this morning says simply, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, let's continue to express our gratitude. There's these little kingdoms that I create. There's the kingdom I receive. The little kingdoms I create are the ones in which I rule. The ones I'm entitled. I make the demands. The kingdom I receive is the kingdom of God. God's gracious reign and rule. It's a life governed by God's gracious guidance. One in which God reminds me that I will have everything I need. Everything I need because God will provide. This is the kind of kingdom that will not be shaken. It's the kind of reign and rule that will not be overthrown. It is a steady presence in our life that assures us that God will always be present and that God will provide. And therefore, our response is that of gratitude for the goodness, greatness, and generosity of God. 
So I ask myself if gratitude is a missing ingredient in my spiritual journey. Is it a missing ingredient in your own spiritual journey? Or maybe in your life's journey period? And then sometimes the hardest question to ask is this, why? Why is it missing? And then ask this, if it is, is this how I truly want to live? As a person who simply goes through life not expressing gratitude. It could be said, you know, that the reason that our world lacks generous and generative people is because it lacks grateful people. Those who are grateful become those who are generous, and those who are generous become generative. They generate good things. They generate light. They generate hope. They generate all sorts of goodness in this world. So as we become grateful, we become generous, and then as we become generous, we generate that good stuff. So this This morning, I began to just list, if I was to practice gratitude, just practice it. Get out of the abstract, get out of the theoretical, and I simply name those moments in my life that evoked gratitude or name those moments in life that came to me as a gift, what would that look like? Let me share what I wrote. I would would invite you to do your own list. Just simply write down and practice gratitude. Take a few moments today. Take a few moments this week. These moments that you are grateful for. I'm grateful for those that have believed in me enough to share with me opportunities for growth. People that came alongside me and saw something in me that I didn't see. I'm grateful for second chances. And third. And fourth. And fifth. And those in my life who believe in grace and mercy. I'm grateful for the conversation I had this past week with a fellow who's going through an unbelievably hard time. It helped me see how broken folks can be. And I'm grateful that we, that is Deep River Friends, could help him. I'm grateful for good conversations that go below the surface and tap the real stuff that's just underneath. I'm grateful for family. And by the way, these are in no particular order. I'm grateful for the privilege of serving as your pastoral minister and for the way that you invite me into the dailiness of your life and sometimes invite me into places you wouldn't invite others, those sacred places. I'm grateful for tender moments that sometimes evoke emotion and even tears and sometimes it's just simply good to feel again. Even though you've got that hot tear streaming down your cheek in a public place, And you say, it just doesn't matter. It's just good to feel. I'm grateful for shelter, for food, and opportunities to share that with others. I am grateful that God and the power of God is still greater than the power of darkness. And that goodness still trumps evil. It may take time, folks, but it does. It still trumps evil. And I'm grateful that failures are not final. And that perfection is not a prerequisite for a flourishing life. Because if it was, I would have been sidelined a long time ago. What are you grateful for? How could you practice gratitude? What moments can you just simply offer a word of thanks? It may not mean anything to anybody else, but that's not why you express gratitude. You express gratitude because it means something to you. It happened to you. It came to you as a gift. 
I love this quote, and I'll sit down. We'll take a few moments. Erwin McManus writes this simple little sentence. When we are grateful, we are most fully alive. When we are grateful, we are most fully alive. Alive.